0: Hi, this is attorney Jamie Miller from the Miller Law Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another edition of the Miller Law Chronicles, where we will simplify the legal maze by giving you clarity and confidence as you go through the legal process. Today, we have a really important segment where we will be joined by Twain Robertson, who is a lawyer here at Miller Miller. And Antoine's going to spend some time today talking about immigration and different opportunities that we can present to our clients to help them obtain their green cards in legal status in the United States. Twain's going to talk a little bit about his personal story and his journey from growing up here in Milwaukee and going to Riverside High School and going to law school at Marquette to become a sports law lawyer and then ultimately find his passion in doing immigration laws. He's going to talk about obtaining U visas and VAWAs and different ways to get legal status in the United States, how people can stay up-to-date on trends in immigration and just generally great ways to take the stress off of people when they're dealing with immigration law issues. And so Kentwane just a great resource for this information. I'm just really excited to share Kentwane's story and the great information that he has about immigration in our country today. Hi, it's attorney Jamie Miller and welcome to another edition of the Miller Law Chronicles podcast. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Antoine Robertson uh, to our podcast. Uh, Antoine is a lawyer uh, here at Miller Miller, has uh, been working with us on our team for the last several months, Um, joined us um, specifically to help us with our clients that have immigration needs. So Excited to welcome you here today. Thanks, Antoine, for joining us. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, feeling good end of the weekend. immigration business is is busy, so that's always yeah. good.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's. I remember when you and I first chatted several months ago, and we were inquir- talking about bringing you on to the team. And tell
1: us a little bit about your
0: background, your family life, how you got involved in immigration and that type of thing.
1: Sure. So I went to UWM where I got a psychology degree and I kind of learned a lot of those, I guess they called soft sciences that unless you get a doctorate, you can't really do too much with it. Um, So I decided to go into law school after speaking with an advisor and kind of uh, weighing my strengths and and stuff that I was interested in, um I got into Marquette uh, and then got into the sports law program because that was kind of my main you know attraction to that school That's a big thing for Marquette unfortunately with what a lot of us learn when we get to that program is most of us are not actually going to ever be working in sports related you know fields because sports law itself is many different fields that just kind of have the a common thread of they happen to sports players um so but i don't regret it because one of the great things that it helped me do in addition to my internships came to a lot of juvenile work family work stuff uh with the corporation council office in waukesha i got a very broad range of uh knowledge so that when i came out and I decided that I wanted to start my own firm, I could work as a general practice and sort of figure out what I wanted to do. So after a couple of years, though, I did kind of decide that I didn't like working on my, like just on my own all that much. I liked the idea of at least having a, another partner or two. So the River West law firm in my neighborhood had a posted an inquiry about any potential attorneys in the area that might be interested in joining up with them because one of their partners were leaving and the partner that was leaving was doing immigration work and that was not something i had any experience in at that time but i was you know like i said i was interested in joining another firm adding a certain level of stability infrastructure and i was fine with learning more about immigration It was something that we touched on in sports law because visas are quite common, uh, especially in the pro sports because of the amount of international uh, players that require some sort of temporary work visa. So when I took over, uh, they did not tell me what their caseload was going to be. I should have asked, but I was suddenly dumped with like 60 clients. All of a sudden, immigration stuff, but the partner that left did a really good job of Walking me through not just the clients and their cases, how to do each case. He helped out a ton. He was going to the USCIS. He he was a really good immigration attorney. So when it came time to doing the actual work, I felt pretty comfortable getting into and helping these clients finish their cases because their cases had already been started for the most part, except for a few that still needed to be filed. From there, that network sort of just kept going. Because the referrals were, you know, we were already kind of an established local firm, especially with the Middle Eastern and African, Western African community. So we had a pretty consistent client base coming in. So I just kept doing the work. And what I found is that I really liked it. Most of my work before that was in family law, divorce, and I did not like it at all. I hated the not just adversarial nature, adversarial nature is fine, but like just the amount of poison that could be found in those proceedings, not just between a husband and a wife or two spouses or whatever, but also involving their children. Uh, My dad was a social worker and I, even though I wasn't a social worker, I developed an affinity for helping children when I was out in Waukesha on my internship and then end up becoming a GEL in family court. So I was the guardian at light of for children. And I have to see this stuff with parents have. Anyways, what was great about immigration is that I wasn't facing another parent that was looking to use their child as a pawn. I The opposing side is the U.S. federal government, and they're not even really an opposing side. It's just a matter of, we want to help these people get to a point where they can legally remain in the country and become, you know, functioning, providing members of society. And that's all, you know, these people want. They're coming in. They don't, I I don't think you'll find many people that want to be undocumented. So I love being able to help these people find a path to work and, you know, relieving their anxiety because they don't have to worry about ICE, Border Patrol, anything like that coming after them and it's really filled my sense of sort of duty as an attorney much more so than what i was doing before and since i joined my wife's been really happy i've been been married for six years now can't get that date wrong or she'll be right unhappy (laughs) she we want to start a family and what we eventually decide is that if that were to happen i have to kind of shift out of the one or two partner firm stage and kind of move on to a larger firm where I can become more established, have more of a stable client base, one that wasn't so up and down. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Milwaukee? Yeah. So I lived in uh, River West for most of my life. Okay, I think my parents lived on like somewhere on the west side, northwest side on like Burleigh or something when I was really young, but we moved to the River West area. And I was there for 20-some years. That's
0: great. We're, did you go to Riverside High School? I did.
1: Yeah. I'm a tiger. Orange and black Halloween colors. Yeah. I was right next to Genslet Elementary School, which was a really interesting elementary school to go to because they, unlike some of the schools, deal with a lot of kids with disabilities. So it really, that was a great school to go to, to kind of get in and understand that there are people with differences from you, that and that's you know not something to look down upon or anything like that. So from a very young age, that's what schooling and my parents kind of wanted to instill in me is you know don't people are going to be different and that's fine. That doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. You can't help them sure. out and then you know beat it or anything like that. So yeah, River West was great in general in that regard.
0: I, I, it's always interesting. I mean, a couple of things that you know, I'm thinking about as you're kind of telling us a little bit about yourself is it's remarkable how we as lawyers or as young people head in a direction for you, maybe it was sports law and going to Marquette, which is great. And then you kind of end up in something else. So, you know, kind of best laid plans and then, you know, you grow up near a school and go to a school that just impacts you and kind of, you know, directs you where ultimately you find yourself. And I kind of had experiences like that. And you and I have a lot in common in that I think we both thrive in areas, me, bankruptcy, you, immigration, where you're really helping people and you have the ability when someone comes in, whether it's an immigration problem or a bankruptcy problem that we're able to offer a solution and help them to improve their lives. And it's just really rewarding.
1: Absolutely. One of the attorneys that I've kind of kept in touch with over time since graduation, he once told me that he saw me as someone who, I, I was, I'm was. i not one of those people that I work to get to 5 p.m. and then I leave and then I kind of leave the work At home, and it doesn't really affect me, I, as he said, live through my work. And because of that, the need to be fulfilled and feel like I'm really making a difference is necessary for me to be able to give my all into my job. So that's something that I've learned the more I've been doing this and the more I've tried to embrace it as much as possible. And make it become my passion even though like you said it wasn't immigration wasn't something that i would have ever thought was my passion years ago
0: right and so you had also mentioned that you kind of made a career change a little bit from being self-employed to come working within a firm we appreciate that because we're very happy to have you here at miller miller and because it's kind of it helps to fill that need of your family as you decide to move forward with that. And I appreciate that. I think sometimes those decisions are the hardest when you have to, you know, kind of pivot and change directions. And I hope, you know, that that's working out for you. But I give you great kudos for being strategic and thoughtful about what you need. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us for young lawyers or for anybody.
1: Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure how much you've gotten into I know you're a big fan of the EOS model and you gave me the traction book I still have. I've, I've read it two times once for myself as kind of as a reflection of what happened when I worked on my own and as, as self-employed and then read it again as kind of prospective going forward. And one really interesting thing that came out of the first reading was, I think I realized what I had done was I was stuck on what they call that branch and your business kind of stalls and you have to either let go or try to climb up. But a lot of people will instead just remain kind of stuck on that branch. And I think there was a time that I had to admit to myself, it wasn't the same imagery I was using at the time, but. That I couldn't keep just hanging on that branch, I had to do something different, and the situation that I was in at that time wasn't going to be optimal long term. maybe it's something I could get back into you know years from now you know i my my career still pretty much in front of me, but for now, this sort of pivot and the experience I've already gotten in the you know 3 or 4 months that I've been here has been amazing so far I've really enjoyed uh being able to not only work for you in the in the office and be an integral part of the team but also have being given the freedom as the head you know sort of heading the immigration department um which still gives me that sort of entrepreneurial feeling that I did have when I was on my own I I was concerned about becoming just another worker bee. And it's been far from that, which I'm great, very, very grateful for.
0: That's, that's great. I appreciate you. Say, you say that means a lot. And being able to have you work, you know, independently and help our clients is valuable to, to everyone. I wanted to kind of jump in a little bit and start talking about immigration and about the areas of uh, immigration that you practice and what immigration statuses and in, in visas you're dealing with. Um, I know it's a just a big practice area. People have, um, uh, you know, just issues in many different areas, but maybe you can narrow it down and give me a couple examples of types of immigration issues that your clients are facing And maybe we can kind of dive into those a little bit so our listeners can understand what type of statuses we're dealing
1: with. Sure. So there are two main types of immigration petitions, so to speak, Uh, immigrant petitions and non-immigrant petitions. Non-immigrant petitions being temporary stays, generally, there's no permanence to it. Whereas the immigrant petitions... Are the ones that generally lead you to that the path of getting a green card becoming a lawful permanent resident as they call it that is where most of our clientele come in the non-immigrant stuff tends to be a lot more specialized and normally the uh, immigration attorneys that do the those types of petitions are very narrow in their scope um so the clients that come to us generally are looking for that permanence, their green cards. And we are especially experienced in anything that is related to family petitions. Before, and,
0: let's take a quick step back. We hear a lot about the term green cards in the U.S. And I'm not sure all of us really understand what that means. What is a green card?
1: So a green card is a essentially a form of identification given to immigrant stating that they are what's called a lawful permanent resident of the United States. It has an expiration. However, technically speaking, once you are become a lawful permanent resident, you're always a lawful permanent resident unless you abandon your status by, say, leaving the country or something like that. So the card is just your identification. Instead of having a passport, you have your lawful permanent resident card. It serves as Your identification for work, for getting a driver's license, if you leave the country and have to come back in. It gives you mostly everything that a citizen has, except for some more basic rights that are us as citizens are provided that immigrants are not until they be naturalized and become citizens, like voting. Also, in immigration itself, citizens are given preferential treatment over green card holders for petitions. For relatives and stuff like that so you'll very often see people who get their green cards want to become citizens as soon as they possibly can but the green card itself is essentially their ticket to being able to reside in the u.s without fear of you know any type of unlawful repercussion on their part
0: right so if, if someone comes to the united states unlawfully
1: how do they get a green card? So the, the that's the first big fork in the road that happens with family petitions. Did you enter legally or did you enter illegally? They create very different scenarios. Um, and illegally is, is always the toughest because what ends up happening is that the USCIS will say, sure, we're, we'll look at your family petition to see whether you are indeed the spouse or the parent or the child of a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident. But what ultimately ends up happening is that once that petition gets approved, they have to go back to their country of origin and come in through the consular processing, which they can do as a waiver, as long as they don't have, you know, a violent background, drug use, anything like that. So there are, the family petitions still offer a route to a green card for these undocumented immigrants, but the USCIS does take steps a little further when they've entered illegally than they entered legally. And it's really tough for people to want to leave and then come back into the country to, to kind of put their trust in the government that they won't screw them over and they'll give them a fair shot. The government's tried to make the waiver program a little more streamlined in that regard. When you're an immediate relative, you have the ability to submit your waiver before you ever leave the country, which is really great. You can get the waiver approved so you have peace of mind when you're leaving that you are not going to be out of the country for very long. You will leave, you'll get your interview, you'll come right back in because you kind of have that permission ahead of time. And that's generally what most of the undocumented immigrants, that's the system they would like to go through if they have to leave the country. At least I can get my waiver approved before I ever leave. Uh,
0: And how does somebody enter the country lawfully and then try to get permanent status?
1: So what ends up happening uh, frequently is Somebody will come in to visit, say, uh, a family member or uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and they will come in on a tourist visa. So, you know, they come to the country and the U.S. officials say, sure, yeah, yeah, enjoy your stay. And then circumstances change for one reason or another. Maybe something's happening back in the country, their home country. Maybe they just decided to elope at the spur of the moment, and suddenly they find themselves in the position to file one of those petitions. And what happens is because you've entered the country legally, your route to get a Greek card then becomes significantly easier. You can do what's called an adjustment of status from whatever you were before, tourists, whatever, students is another big one um two lawful permanent residents and you can do that all while remaining in the United States you don't have to leave you can even get advanced parole to leave and visit family outside of the country and come back and if you want to do that it's there's a really stark contrast in how the applicants are treated between whether they entered the country legally or whether they entered illegally, but the two most common statuses that people have when they come in legally are either students or visitor.
0: Right. And are you able to help somebody that has entered the country illegally?
1: Yes. So what do you,
0: I, what do you look to? Like, what are you looking for to, to see if you can help someone?
1: Right. And that is. There is a lot of uh, hoopla about stuff that's happening at the border and stuff like that now because there aren't many options for undocumented immigrants, but there are options. Um, Aside from having a family member who is a U.S. citizen or lawful permanent resident, the two biggest options are um, asylum, which are very tough cases because you have to prove that there's a credible threat fear of going back and being persecuted in your home country and in a lot of cases they don't even the government doesn't even care about specifically like targeted fears like oh somebody threatened my life versus there is a government that is in place that is threatening a whole group of people that's what the u.s government really looks at so the asylum applications have a very low approval rate unless you're coming from a country like say china which has a communist government and the united states wants to do what they can to bring you over to our government our way of life so asylum's really risky in that regard the other option is when a, you say
0: ri- risky it's just it's hard to get your status adjusted based on a, an asylum claim
1: yeah yeah that and if you end up Having your asylum denied will be referred to an immigration court. And at that point, you can have a deportation order set against you, which could then affect future attempts to get a green card if you have a deportation order that's been entered. But the other visa that really gives somebody who has no options an option is the U non-immigrant visa. The non-immigrant aspect is kind of a misnomer. What it does is, if you are a victim of a qualifying crime, there's a list of crimes that the USCIS has that's considered a qualifying crime. You can, and, and you are helpful to law enforcement in attempting to investigate and prosecute this crime, you can submit a petition to the USCIS stating that I was a victim of a crime. I helped police. The police acknowledge my assistance. And then, you can get approved for a U visa. And then after three years of being approved for a U visa, you get to apply for your green card, your adjustment of status. The U visa does not require that you have another family member or something like that that's here to sponsor you. Um, Not only that, also has its own separate uh, criteria for uh, stuff that could make you inadmissible, stuff that could cause your... Petition to be denied. Um, it's they are. It's significantly more open to uh, many things in people's background. The, the thing that kind of look at the most is basically, were you a terrorist? And other than that, that means multiple illegal entries, which would normally be a ten-plus year bar from entering the United States. That's not something that's considered. So that is really a great option for people that. Not only might not have many options to them, but stuff has happened in the past that makes those options even more difficult. So it becomes a really interesting way to try to help someone out that otherwise might have thought they would never have had a chance of getting a green card.
0: In the U visa, you know, I know you've worked and you've managed and handled many U visa cases, but can me give me a fact scenario um, of what a typical U visa case might look like
1: sure so let's say a person was in a car something like that walking down the street and they were the victim of an armed robbery person had a gun threatened to them harm if they did not give over property and then the person that's the so the perpetrator takes off the person alerts the police the police come they give a statement as to what happened, you know, as much as they can remember, then later, the police get a hold of the the person again and say, "Hey, we need you to come identify. We have some suspects. we'd like you to come identify somebody." So the person would go down to the police station, identify the perpetrator, and then from there, you know, there might be deep stuff like that so what the person has done is, A, they were a victim of what would be considered a qualifying crime. Armed robbery would fall under the category of felonious assault since the person was threatened with substantial bodily harm, with, in this case, with the use of a, a lethal weapon. And then they ensured that they told police about it, and not only that, continued to work with police after the initial report. And then from there, you know, hopefully the person at that point is prosecuted to the furthest extent of the law. And so what happens in that case is they've hit the major uh, requirements of eligibility for a U visa. So what happens is that they come to us and the first thing we need to do is get certification from that law enforcement agency. Say, hey, we know this person helped you out. We believe this crime is qualifying. Can you sign this this supplemental certification that is a requirement for the USCIS to approve a U-Visa? The law enforcement agency says, sure, absolutely. The whole reason the U-Visa program was put into place was to encourage people that are undocumented to come to us and work with us with these sorts of issues, because before the U-Visa program existed, people were very afraid to go to the police when they thought, I'm undocumented. I might go to the police, and I might get shipped off, you know, and deported the next day. I, I have no idea. So, you have done what we, the, what the program is meant to do. Here's your certification. From there, you get the certification back, and we submit the certification with the U visa petition. Um, the USCIS then processes the petition, says this okay. is a qualifying crime, approves it. They get their approval. They get to work during this time as well um, and then what they do that is just keep living their life for another three years and at that three-year mark they can apply for an adjustment of status to get their green card and then that takes another 10 to 12 months before that gets approved Gets approved suddenly you got your green card turned a very scary dangerous and, and harmful situation into something positive for the victim
0: And does it, do you have to be the victim or can you be the witness of a crime also? Because I would think the same thing might come into play because if you're witnessing and you're not legally in the state, you may not want to get involved.
1: Right. So they don't extend it to witnesses that have not um, experienced any type of harm. There has to be a type of harm. So there are some... Uh, of those qualifying crimes where in theory, the witness, because of what they've experienced and what they saw, wasn't mentally harmful to them. Something like, I don't know, sex trafficking or some of these really extreme examples where in theory, you might be able to say, I was an indirect victim because I witnessed something that very, a qualifying crime that very much traumatized myself. That also works, say, your spouse or your child or something like that was the actual victim and not you. As someone who is related to that person, you could have still suffered harm because of a qualified crime that happened to one of your family members. So even though you were not the direct victim there, you can still apply for the U visa as an indirect victim. Um, And somebody who has been harmed by that qualifying crime, that's the key element to whether or not you can be considered a qualifying indirect victim.
0: Got it. And it's my understanding that it can be from an incident that happened yesterday, five years ago or 20 years ago. So
1: correct. The the biggest issue with time is a matter of can we get the police report? Do the police still have the police report to be able to give you uh, a good enough, um, uh, you know, advice as to whether or not your crime is qualifying, because that's that we always like to look at the police report. We've been able to get police reports from 25 years plus back, um, which isn't super easy to do. But, you know, we do our best to make sure that we're able to get those records. But in terms of the eligibility requirements for the UV, all that has to happen is show that the the crime was qualifying and that you were helpful to police, and that could go back 30, 40 years, as long as you have the evidence to be able to prove that those things happened. Right. What happens
0: sometimes, excuse me, when you, maybe you reach out to communities, you know, maybe it happened in, the crime happened in a community less favorable to immigration laws. Do you find that DAs or... Police departments may be less willing to cooperate because they may have personal feelings about, you know, what immigration should be in our country.
1: Yes, uh, and it is very unfortunate. The law enforcement agencies are not required by law to provide these certifications. They are kind of seen as a favor. However, there's still some oversight in regard to that. A big example recently has been the Chicago Police Department the i think it was at the state level they realized that the cpd had been denying its ton of application certification requests that should have been granted because they were qualifying crimes and so state government stepped in and said i think it was the attorney general and said this can't happen um which is really interesting when you look at the uscs guidelines and it says they're not required to do it if they don't want to So there's definitely internal struggles that I think happen uh, between different agencies as to whether um, it's something that they'll actually do or not. I know for a fact there are some police departments in uh, North Carolina that absolutely refuse to certify any U visas. So that's why we also try to get as creative as we can to which law enforcement agency that we will submit these certifications to. It doesn't just have to be a police department. Perhaps their district attorney's office might be more sympathetic to the cause than the police department is, or even judges can be certifying officials as well. It's really about casting an open net within a reason and not just putting all your eggs into one basket when it comes to getting these certifications, because you might run into one of those agencies where they... It doesn't matter how good your case is, they are not going to help you.
0: Right. And can you do like an open
1: records request to get that information? Yes. In fact, most cases, oh, in in terms of the, like their approval denial rates or in terms of like the getting like police reports and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Getting, like if you have a district attorney or, you know, police department that doesn't want to, you know, cooperate with you, can you go around them and do an open records request and get the police report?
1: Yes. Yes. And in fact, most police departments will be very, well, they'll, they'll be very giving in terms of police reports. In, in most cases, you don't even have to submit it as a sort of formal records or open records or FOIA request. You'll, we'll simply email them and say, hey, this is the information we have. Can you send us the police report? And they'll get it right to us. I think that's been a big positive results of a lot of things becoming digitalized, I don't think they have a problem sharing a record with us because they know that ultimately they can still say no, even if we submit something to them, but they still won't have an issue. They're not going to make a fight out of giving us the records. There are also some agencies that will be uh, sticklers when it comes to if something's in the middle of investigation still. They will not give you the, the report until the investigation is concluded. Madison is a very, I don't want to say offender because they're, with, they're well within their right to do that because their safety, they see it as security concerns. But Madison Police Department is a big example of a law enforcement agency that does not like providing police reports unless the entirety of the investigation is concluded. They will simply deny your request and say, please check back later to see if the investigation. Has concluded. So when that happens, we just have to check in. You know, once a month, something like that. Just make sure we're on top of it, and we get the report as soon as it becomes available. And
0: are you finding that people aren't aware of this U visa opportunity?
1: Yes, not only possible immigrants, but also some law enforcement agencies will like will have to tell them we know what this is. It's always nice to be able to work with someone who doesn't think they have any options. We hear their story, they're going through a consult because maybe they thought they could get a family petition or something like that, but it turns out that they're not really eligible for that. But in the course of the consult, we find out that they are the victim of what could be considered a qualifying crime. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. This was a system that was only implemented, what, eight years ago, I think? It's, I think it's still very unknown and there are a lot of people who are still very recently their their crimes happened 9 10 years ago they hear about this from friends they type in uv they just type in u visa in google or whatever and we'll be one of the first firms that come up as a firm that specializes in this sort of still very new option for these individuals and that's su- we're very consistently getting clients like that. Cause we always ask, you know, where did you, you know, where did you like, Oh, I heard about you visas. And you're one of the first firms that came up when I searched for it. And so being able to help the, the people that, you know, they go from thinking they have nothing to, I might be able to offer you a route is incredibly fulfilling and seeing their faces light up is I, I could, that'll never get old. That'll never get old. I, I always love being able to see someone, understand that they might be able to find what they've been looking for after all this time.
0: Sure. So we've been talking about U-Visas. What are some other routes that someone who may have come to the U.S. illegally can attempt to obtain or overstate a visa can attempt to obtain citizenship here?
1: So, yeah, the most common one is marriage. marriage, marriage to a U.S. citizen. If you're married to a U.S. citizen and you overstay your visa, basically what you do is you file it as though you weren't overstaying, except that you explain, I overstayed, this is why, this is the change in circumstances. And then USCIS is generally fine with that. The idea of having a family member, because you could do this if this was your parent or your child as well they don't want u.s citizens to be harmed by a family an immediate relative is is the term they use having to be set back when they could stay here especially if those u.s citizens are willing to put themselves on the hook for anything financial as a sponsor because that's the government's always you know worried about the financial aspects of it but yeah so marriage is the most common one there are times where people are married Then they think about doing the petition, but then the marriage ends poorly to the point where that individual might have been abused in some sort of domestic violence. When that happens, uh, all is not lost for that individual just because their U.S. citizen spouse or ex-spouse won't sponsor them anymore. You have the option to file a VAWA petition, uh, which stands for Violence Against Women Act, It doesn't just apply to women, though, it applies to any individual that was in a relationship, an abusive relationship. You can essentially file your petition as uh, using the fact that you were married to that person as an eligibility requirement and then show that while during that marriage, I was abused either mentally, physically, financially, um, anything like that. And that also gives you a route to getting a green card where, again, you might not think you have any route because your spouse decided to end your, you ended the relationship or the spouse ended the relationship or whatever. Most of the time when we're talking about undocumented immigrants, their best bet for any type of green card route is going to be those, that immediate relative route if you're not looking at something like a U-Visa. U-Visa is one of the very few options where you don't need a family member to be a part of your process the other one being employment but in most sponsorship cases with employment that was set up before they've ever come into the country so you won't rarely will you see that sort of situation happen where an undocumented immigrant wants to become get a green card as a worker just the option isn't available to them. One other prominent thing that's becoming more prominent, in fact, is temporary protected status. That essentially gives somebody lawful status. You're not a green card holder, but you're not here illegally, technically, during the period of your temporary protected status. And during that time, you can also work, which, which that's going to be a big deal for a lot of people. And then it's just a matter of how long the temporary protected status goes on for example Nicaragua has had that status since 1999 so it can last two years it can last 25 years that's the problem with relying on that and only that as your way of remaining in the United States lawfully it's a great way if if you need a stopgap measure it's great for that but it isn't something that somebody should be banking on for the rest of their life
0: right and (laughs) <laughs> you know, of course, you're a lawyer, you're trained in this area, but are there resources out there that someone who has questions about immigration can reach out to? Of course, they can contact you, but if someone just has a question about status and what they can do, what's a good resource? For
1: well, our website's what good resource. We provide a very... The USCIS website itself is very good. The problem is that people, A, they don't want to have to go to the government website because it makes them feel, you know, all anxious and whatever. And two, it's not the easiest to navigate. What our website does <laughs> is streamline a lot of that information really into not. one place and make it a lot more digestible for someone who's looking for answers to their questions. Obviously, our website doesn't provide any actual legal advice, but we try to give everyone That overview that they're looking for that at least hopefully answers some basic questions that will then um, lead them down the right path as to what they might want to explore.
0: Yeah, it's probably exciting for you to have an opportunity to consult with somebody who is having issues with their status in this country and then kind of going through the litany of opportunities and choices and then coming up with a potential solution. Is that is that what you find? Someone comes in, they don't know what the solution is. You're able to help discover that with them? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Being, it's almost like for those who are into puzzles, it's like you're putting together a puzzle and that feeling that you get when you finally finish that puzzle and you feel like you accomplished something and you accomplished something that was constructive. For me, that's what it's all about is doing something where I walk away feeling I'm helping this person or we're trying our best to, to make sure that this person gets a better life. And in a lot of situations with these fact patterns, they are puzzles because there might be several different avenues that a person can take. And it's about finding which one will fit best for them. And I very much do enjoy being a part of that process and helping them figure out what is going to be the best fit for them?
0: Right. Are there any recent trends or developments or things that are happening on either with the president or Congress or the national level that our listeners should be aware of at this time?
1: So it, it's they should always, this is just a PSA going forward for all of our listeners. The change in government is always going to be a big deal because the USCIS based a lot of what it does and its decision-making based on policy, because the, the actual law, the immigration statutory law, is not very expansive. So a lot of what happens is based on policy that the executive branch, the government, and the DOJ put into place. What we have found under the Biden administration is that approval ratings continue of applications, not of the president, continue to go up. But one interesting situation that's happening is as they decline to rule on some of these more um, 50-50 applications where they're not exactly sure whether or not they should rule on it or not, they're simply not ruling on it as opposed to denying it. And that's creating this whole backlog that's causing a lot of uh, applications to now take months longer than they had been before. So one thing I would tell listeners, you know, if you decide to go with us or or any other firm or whatever for your immigration needs, to be prepared for a longer wait than maybe someone you've heard of who went through the same process four or five years ago. They've The USCIS, they're trying these new routes to try to help their efficiency, and it just is not working so far. COVID was a big part of that. They had, they lost a lot of their workforce and they, they're trying to make up for it, but their, I, what they've implemented so far just isn't working. So even though you might not have to worry about a, an elevated level of anxiety for a denied application, you might have to live with the fact that your application will take longer to process than it would have before until they find a solution to that problem.
0: Right and how do individuals, especially those that may not speak English, I mean, how do people stay informed about either changes in laws or policies or um, uh, you know, if there opportunities that they might have?
1: So a lot of people do it through word of mouth, and that's never a good thing because we constantly we very consistently deal with people come in and say, well, I heard this. And we're like, no, 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 don't, don't freak out. That's not, you know, that's not the case. Unfortunately, though, there aren't a ton of resources out there, bilingual resources, at least, for people that, to help people keep up with the change in laws, especially since, again, these are policies. Policies can change day by day. And for someone like me, it's really easy. We get our digest emails from the various legal resources, but those same legal resources might not be something that the layman has access to, unfortunately. So, we do our best to update things that are going on just as we do with bankruptcy. I want to try to stay on top of making sure we share all that good news. But other than that, there are local resources really are the best places, like the UCC in Milwaukee, for example or 16th Street Clinic, they have those local resources generally have multiple areas to them, including immigration help. And so they will generally be able to provide the best information to anybody that visits their establishment at any given time. But ultimately, I think I hope to provide kind of a one-stop shop for that sort of thing for people to find if they're just searching like changes in immigration laws, provide articles and stuff like that.
0: Right. What, what advice would you give someone who is, you know, considering, you know, issues and opportunities that they have to get green card status in the US?
1: Don't be afraid to go talk to an attorney about it. I think a lot of people are under the assumption that if they make one wrong move outside of their household, that they're going to get caught and they're going to be deported. They are undocumented. And it's going to be significantly worse long-term for you and your family if you don't attempt to feel out your options or at least talk to an attorney who might be able to advise you that your situation isn't something that you need to worry about at this time for one reason or another. Most attorneys, ourselves included, provide consultations for free It's our goal to be able to help you feel more at ease about your situation, whether it's because you decide to retain us or you just get a little more informed as to updated laws and what you can expect going forward. Right. And,
0: you know, it's whether they come to you here at Miller Miller or go to someone else or talk to someone else or go to the UCC, I think, you know, it's a good lesson Go and ask questions, find out, figure things out. It's a great way to help improve your life and take stress away. And I really appreciate you going so in depth and taking so much time on this really critical issue and I know that people can go to our website and figure out different ways to reach you. But I really appreciate Anthony taking the time. Do you have any final thoughts before we close out today?
1: No, just that I was very happy to join. I, I love, as I said, I kind of turned this into a passion. So I love uh, talking uh, immigration and and doing what I can to um, provide listeners with uh, more knowledge as to, you know, what's exactly is going on and what options are available to them. Um, I, I love doing what I can to help people learn more about the system and how to navigate it.
0: Right. And the immigration system can be really complex and hard to understand. And we just spoke about a really small part of opportunities that people have. And thank you for your time. And we'll look forward to continuing our journey together and helping as many people as we can. And take care. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.